Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. The Philosophy Podcast is brought to you by Oxia Time, a cool watch company focused on university-branded watches. John Canaris is the founder of Oxia Time, and he was the goalie at Penn in the late 80s who led his team to the Final Four. John is actually best known for being the goalie that Gary Gate dunked on in the Air Gate. Oxia Time makes beautiful, Swiss-made, authentic watches whose design and quality match the essence of the universities they represent. I can attest to the quality of these watches. John hooked me up with a sweet Brown University Oxia watch, and I think it's the nicest thing I own. Initially licensed with eight Ivy League schools, Oxia keeps adding new schools each month. One of the coolest things Oxia offers is custom timepieces to commemorate championships or to celebrate storied teams. Check out the UVA Lacrosse Championship watch. It's sick. Princeton did a really nice one last year as well. Oxia even did an LSU football championship watch this year. For any teams interested in creating a custom watch this season, Oxia will upgrade it at no extra cost to a championship watch if your team wins a conference or national championship next year. For players, parents, and coaches interested in custom team watches, check them out at oxiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A-Time.com. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome two of the top high school coaches in the land to the Philosophy podcast. John Lancey, the head coach at Durham Academy, and Andy Hillgartner, the head coach at McDonough School, are joining me today. And we're here to talk a little bit about high school lacrosse and about a really special endeavor that Lance is working on. But let's start off with the high school lacrosse, guys. How fired up are you to be in season for 2021? I'll take a stab at that one. I mean, it's exciting. I mean, we're two and a half weeks into practice. And, you know, I think Andy could probably uh, concur with this. I, I think last spring, I think the loss of being with your guys day to day, the practice field, the opportunity to support kids and, and the, the lack of closure, I think, at the end of last season in a meaningful or normal way was, was really difficult, you know, for coaches that care a lot about their guys, which I know Andy does. I do as well. And I don't know, missing the games in retrospect was as big a blow as not having those moments with my guys, right? I mean, the, yeah. the idea of the games kind of indicating how we're practicing and what we're doing together and working towards our goals. But the bigger thing of just not being together day to day to support one another when we really needed each other was, was really difficult. And Zoom was great for the short run, but, you know, any totally. his guys was not good enough, so... I think we all feel this way, uh, but let's 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 talk about what we're doing. Hilgi, how fired up? What are you doing with your team that you had a year to think about that you're excited about as you get going on your on your preseason? Any any things with the development of the culture or the development of your players' skills, offenses? What, what's going on with the McDonough program right now? Yeah, I mean, we we uh, you know every high school coach has to go through the tryout process for the first couple of days. Um, and we did that last week and then had an inter-squad scrimmage over the past weekend. And, 
And it was, it was great to see, you know, really one of the things we've tried to emphasize this year is um, just freedom to play the game, um, to, to try. And Jamie, you and I have talked about this many, many times before about um, a little less structure and, and trying to focus on just maybe a couple key points offensively, a couple key points defensively, and in our transition game especially, and then uh, letting the guys go out and play. And, and whether that's in a small sided drill or whether that's in a full field scrimmage, uh, but trying not to overcoach too much. Um, and that's hard to do sometimes. And, um, and, and some of the plans that we've had have been a little bit uh, sidetracked because of some injuries. Um, it's amazing how quick, you know, I'm, I'm super, the first couple of days, I'm super thankful to be out there. And, and the idea of getting back to normalcy comes very quickly when, you're dealing with injuries, you're dealing with cuts and upset kids, and you're dealing with, um, oh my God, we might not win a game this year the way we're practicing right now. Um, but, uh, but excited to kind of keep, keep things going. I think we, we've got a good returning group um, and we've got some very good young players, promising young players that, uh, that have been uh, doing very well and picking things up. And, and we've been trying to, um, our practices have been a little bit shorter and part of that's because of the school schedule that we've been on. We're in a hybrid schedule right now. And so we have some limitations there, but it's actually been a good thing because we've, we've just tried to maximize our time, even if it's only 90 minutes, having a great practice and then being ready to come back out fresh the next day. Cool stuff. Lance, how do you manage the difference between structure and freedom in your program throughout, you know, a preseason, but even through the season itself, as you let the things evolve? Well, you know, I think any coach, you know, the three components to make up playing, right? Your technical skill set, you know, your understanding concepts and ideas and how that fits into, you know, a tactical plan for your group. And, you know, I'm a big believer, you know, my, my school environment's a little different than Andy's in regards to how we put our team together and how our school's philosophy is. So we, we really do it with our own kids for the most part, our K through 12 environment for, for our kids at DA. So I have had my hands on those kids for a long time, but we spend a lot of time and we, we were lucky. We got back out there in the summer and we're able to do distance skill work kind of like we normally do. And we were out there four or five days a week in the summer in small-sided groups, really trying to build our, our what I tell the guys, hey, toolbox of skills. My brother's a construction guy, and I, I sent a picture this summer of my brother's truck with his toolbox in the back, and I sent a picture of my lame toolbox in my shed. And I said, who would you call with a problem, my brother or me, right, guys? So the idea to be a creative problem solver on the field comes with you know, the understanding of what you need to do, but having the skill set you need to back up to be a creative problem-solving player. And the stick really is the thing that allows you to be creative, solve problems in real time, and really be the best athlete you can be. So we spent a lot of time on trying to build our toolbox, Jamie, from the bottom up. Obviously, we pull the bottom and try to pull the bottom to the top. And we have a big disparity of guys for range of abilities. And we just try and set the bar high for those kids to catch everybody up. We've got a great culture in our program for learning and respecting the process of learning. And um, yeah, we're, we're excited. I, I have a good, I have a good group, good balanced group of upperclassmen, some good young guys, and we're excited to get going and start competing uh, in a week and a half here. So awesome. Love it. Hilgi, let's talk a little defense for a second. Um, how much would you say your defense uh, or, or what, what, what program or, or mentor would you say has had the biggest impact on the way you believe in team defense and how would it manifest itself with your team? 
Hmm. Uh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, honestly, like I've taken a lot over the years from many different coaches. Um, you know, when I was just starting off as a head coach is when Princeton was having all of their success in uh, the early 90s, mid 90s. And uh, so how they played had a, had a, an effect on me. But I also loved watching um, guys like, uh, you know, Wayne McPartland and, um, you know, some of the guys from Carolina back in the 80s, too. And even into the late 80s or 90s, uh, you know, guys like Beardsley and um, a couple of the other like sort of takeaway type of guys that were aggressive getting out on the ball. Um, and, and so I think, you know, we happen to have some good defensive depth right now and we have some guys that are pretty athletic. And so being able to win matchups and go out and play a little bit more aggressively has been something that we've tried to uh, to do a little bit more of. Um, our best teams have always been defensively when we've had really good short stick D mids. And right now we're in a, you know, we have very little depth as far as defensive midfielders this year. We're trying to develop guys. And also some of our best defensive middies are actually our best offensive guys too. So that gives us a little flexibility. Um, so I don't know that I've had one specific influence that has, influ you know, that, that has really impacted me defensively. I think it's just taking a little bit from everybody that I've ever met with and talked with from the Notre Dame guys to um, Torpy to Lars to like all the different guys around it. And then also watching like Calvert Hall play defense, boys Latin play defense, Loyola play defense. You know, I pick up a lot from, from our uh, conference teams as well. Lance, uh, Hilgi just mentioned how, you know, when his defenses are at their best, it's usually when their shorties are pretty awesome. Um, would you agree with that statement? And if, if, if so or not, will you expound on your thoughts on that statement? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, we're in a matchup game and the, how the game has evolved. And, you know, uh, traditionally people look for the best matchup and, you know, logically the short stick guys are typically the guys you test the most in the, in the course of a game. So, you know, listen, team defense, you know, I'm a stats guy by nature, like kind of play the percentages and, you know, great defense starts with great goaltending. You saw that last night, uh, you know, in that great battle with Carolina and Virginia and goaltending covers up a lot of, um, you know, errors on defense and uh, things that <clears throat> you're trying to cover up. But the idea of shots, you know, like I think, I think shots is like an irrelevant stat in a game, right? So when you're when you're playing on defense, the question is you're in a competitive game, you know, 30, 35 shots for your opponent it, it is a pretty average number. And the question is, where are those shots coming from? Are you giving up 30 shots in the places you want to see them or your goalie wants to see them or that are in your wheelhouse? Or are you giving up 28 shots in a place you don't want to see shots? You know, so our, our concept is, defend the front of the goal like it's the end of the world. You know, we compact and try and give our goalie a funny chance to see balls that they can save at a 70% clip and clear the ball effectively, you know, and even out the possession game. You know, we've played McDonough many times in, in Andy and I's careers together. He used to bring his guys down. I think, what, my 14 years, Andy, we've played well like eight, nine times. And we've had some competitive games over the years, partly because we get great goaltending and we clear the ball pretty well for a high school team and at least allows the possessions to, to even out and, and allow the game to be manageable, even when you're kind of at a disparity at a talent gap that allows you to hang in there. So, you know, I guess I, I, I play the percentages, right? I, I've had lucky to have great goaltending at DA my entire time here. We've kind of built out from the goal um, and how we play defense. And 
you know, I'm a man-to-man guy, you know, um, help ready man-to-man just depends how far you want to go because it's how far you got to go back. Right. So where do you draw the line and, and, you know, give your goalie a chance. So, yeah. Hilgi, what are your thoughts on what, what, why did you say your defense, why are your defenses so much better when you've got shorties that can really, that can really play and how, and how would you characterize the way they play that makes your defense so much better? Well, typically, like if you have really good shorties, I mean, the first characteristic probably is they're tough. The second is athletic. And uh, and so I think they can just make up, for, you know, they're going to get dodged a lot, you know, just just by the nature of offenses right now, they're going to get dodged a lot. And so if you can be a little bit uh, slower to go to those guys, they can eat up a little bit of time, force the offensive guy to make double moves um, or triple moves, you know, getting a piece of them. You know, we, we've tried to go away from the idea of just forcing a guy to one side all the time um, because then you're almost forced to slide, you know. And so we, we want to try and battle a little bit more in a one-on-one game. And when you have those middies that just don't get run by right away, um, you can you can slow up a possession, force them to, to have to, to dodge more, move the ball more, and that's eating up time. That's eating up uh, shot clock time. And so I think you can just be more effective in that way. Totally. And if you're an analytics guy like Coach Lancey, then you know that assisted shots score at a higher rate than unassisted shots. And so therefore, if you don't have to slide as much, you're not going to get the ball moving. You know, the Princeton defense, you talked about when Bill Tierney was dominating college across, he was sliding early, forcing you down the alley, and people just weren't skilled enough and didn't have the schemes to be able to, you know, score goals. And, and now that's not true, which is why the, the game has kind of switched away from forcing people all the time and sliding all the time to really being harder to beat and moving laterally and, 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 and jacking guys, you know, you, you no, talk about sure. Carolina and good goaltending. They also got some pretty good shorties. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, defense is easier when you're not sliding, right? And it's an unsettled game. Anytime you got two to the ball, you're playing man down, right? So um, teams are skilled enough. The idea, it's funny you say that back, Jamie, to Princeton's days and my days at Duke when you were coaching college. Like, kids couldn't even throw a pull pass, right? Like, to throw the ball behind you, everybody just threw the ball in front of you, which made it really easy, you know, to play help and recover defense. Now the idea of throwing pull passes, putting a lot of pressure on teams out in front of the goal, the idea of pulling the slides away from the ball, not towards the ball and stretching the recovery guys. Mitch is really hard to guard, right? And if you're sliding all the time, difference between Andy's deal, like most of the high school leagues, when we talk high school across, don't play the shot clock, right? I mean, the MIA is one of the few leagues that does play the shot clock. The majority of high school uh, lacrosse is played without a shot clock still and probably will never have the shot clock. So the idea of how we play is a little bit different, right? I mean, Andy's kind of talking about a philosophy that's eating time and, and seconds and, you know, trying to put offenses in a tougher bind. That's not the case for the 90% of the high schools that are out there playing. So. No, it's not. Uh, but the principles of not having to go, are they going to be the same? Let's, let's talk a little two man game. Um, I've been thinking a lot about two man game lately. I think a lot about two game, two man game all the time, I think, but I've been kind of thinking about the concept of, why would you ever not do a two-man game to initiate your offense when it pulls a defender out of the slide package? You don't have to use the pick if you don't want to. Um, you can always dodge and refuse the pick. You don't even have to play the two-man game out. 
you can zip the ball right in the middle of the two-man game and create offense on the other side. Um, thoughts on that concept, Hilgi, on two-man game and the value of it and, and how even if you don't use it or don't even attempt to play a pick and roll, that it can be a big value to your offense? Yeah, we've been fortunate to play like Culver Academy a lot over the past couple of years. And we've scrimmaged Episcopal Academy up in Philly where Chris Bates is the coach and they run a ton of two men pairs looks there. And um, and it's always been a huge challenge for our defense, especially playing Culver. And uh, because you can't leave your two defenders in the two man game stranded. So you have to have a guy, you know, ready to go. And so then you're almost occupying, you know, now you have three guys there. And so that ball gets moved. And now, it, you know, again, essentially you're getting it down to a four on three on the backside. And so, you know, just over the years, I've just seen the effectiveness of that. The challenge at the high school level is getting your guys to understand um, patience when you have the ball on your stick and, and your teammate is coming out to initiate a two man and then understanding when to set that hard pick, when to stick that pick, when to show and then slip early, um, when to, to try and hang them up, you know, and then play the slip game off of that or bring them over the top, as we've talked about. And so understanding those concepts takes a little while. You know, again, we have a couple of freshmen that are probably going to get playing time this year and really trying to get them to understand those concepts. It, it, it takes a little bit of uh, you have to do some some small drills and teaching points, and then you, you can kind of expand it up a little bit into your four on four, five on five looks um, and into six on six. And we have we typically don't have a manager filming practice, but we've started to do that a little bit and we'll continue to do that, hopefully more so that we can show those guys. Here's how it works. Here's how your spacing was really good on this one. And here's how you kind of jammed it up a little bit. So I think at the high school level, there's no question it's effective. There's no question it can really help your offense. But again, teaching the concepts to younger players and, and trying to get them to understand the matchups, who they're bringing out to the ball. Are they bringing the best defender on the other team out to the ball? And if so, they probably don't want to stick that pick. You know, the, And so, again, that's just one example. But thinking about those, um, those concepts, again, they – they're not hard to pick up, but there are there are definitely some nuances there that your younger guys at the high school level will take a little bit longer to understand. No doubt. Lance, let's talk a little bit about uh, two-man game defense. Um, what's your – how do you like to play? How do you like to teach it? What are your – you know, there's probably no right or wrong way to do it, but how do you like to do it? Well, you know, I, as you know, I, I was fortunate enough to have some pretty extensive um, – pro lacrosse experience when I first got out of college and played for the Buffalo Bandits and Detroit Turbos, two primarily Canadian teams with some great, 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 all-time great scores in the indoor game. And, you know, learned a lot about both of those things, right? And the idea of space and, you know, you know, when to refuse to pick and the slip game, you know, once again, I'll go back to, you know, technical skills, your toolbox, your ideas, like, those things have to support, you know, the two-man game's a tactical option, right? That's like a, an offense, right? How are we going to try and attack the goal? And your skill set and your understanding of those things have to support the tactical idea, right? So, you know, if you really have high-level kids, you know, tight window passing, you know, the back pedal, creating space, keeping the stick in your shoulder, you know, shoulder frame, hinging your hips open, all the things, the lever pass, 
that allow you to play effectively offensively in a two-man game also impact how you would defend it, right? If I was playing a team that I knew was very skilled and had a group of kids that could throw the slip and make the underballs and, and throw the lever passes and tight windows, you know, we would be less aggressive in how we handle the picks. I think down in North Carolina, we're not as skilled across the board. We particularly on wing picks, anything that's going sideline to sideline, Jamie, because it's so hard to get through without adding a third defender. Like Andy was saying, I prefer not to add a third defender conceptually into the pick game, right? So and it's the reason why you do it, right? I mean, you, you bring void some area, have to add a third defender in, and it makes it really difficult. So we do a lot of jump switching and put a lot of pressure on the ball carrier to make a tough initial pass to the slip guy, if that's what they want to do, and be a little slower to go to the slip guy. Maybe go him from the adjacent guy instead of, you know, the furthest guy, right? So, like, who are we leaving and abandoning to support the ball, right, to come the jump switch and come from the adjacent, like, under guy? Those are two really hard passes at the high school level. They really are. So we're kind of banking on the fact they can't string two of them together and make the play good for them um, if they can. But we're pretty aggressive wing to wing. We switch a lot. Um, anything short to short, big to big, unless they really have a dominant matchup that we really want to keep somebody on. We do a lot of switching. We won't even get in there and play. Like if it's out there on those like high wing alleys and from the underneath picks, we'll just play off the picker and like zone, like, and just switch. And we did that to Georgetown prep a few years ago and kind of pushed everybody to the middle and, they were just all over in each other's way. And we had a pretty good team that year. And it was, you know, it was like a one goal game in the fourth quarter, just because they just couldn't make those four yard passes to their weak hand. We were just funneling everybody away from where they wanted to go. And there's only a couple of kids at the high school level to can make those passes. We're talking about not strong handed. So the idea of like what you're doing, just once again, play the percentages, leave the furthest guy, give them the toughest play available and make them make that play. Most of them can't. You know, I tell the guys we play McDonough, hey, guys, force them offhand, give them the through ball, come in the slide or jump switch. They throw it away just like everybody else, and they typically do every now and then. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of my philosophy on playing them defensively. But um, some hard, fast rules and just kind of stick by them and, and play the percentages. So, yeah. Hey, what do you guys think about the, uh, <clears throat> the way that uh, Denver has been playing big, little, and invert defense? In the, in the sense that they do not go behind the net um, with the shorty, either on the, if, if, if the shorty is picking for the ball back there, they won't go behind. And if their, their man goes behind, they'll, they'll meet him at the, at, at the goal line in the side of the crease. Um, I saw villain uh, Marquette was doing that. Um, it's an interesting strategy. And I'm curious to uh, get your guys' opinions on that. What, what are your thoughts on that Hilgi? Uh, I, I've seen it a little bit. We, we don't, we don't teach that necessarily. Um, and one reason is like, we haven't been great playing the hang up game. And I think, you know, you're going to get hung up obviously in that situation at times. And I um, feel like when we get in that hang up situation, we, we've got to be better there as far as just playing when, when the teams come into the middle and now they're going to start picking and slipping and all that kind of stuff up, up top, we have to be better up there. And so we're going to be just a little bit more where we're going to try and stay out on the ball and, and, and go out and press. But I, I mean, it makes sense. And, and honestly, I haven't watched DU or Marquette a whole lot this year, or even studied that concept too much. 
um, in the off season or coming into this, this spring. So um, it's not the way we play it, but um, certainly would be open. Yeah. What have you seen? I mean, have you seen them have success with that James? Well, <clears throat> so I, I tried this when I was coaching, when I was coaching with hunts, um, and yeah. I was a defensive coordinator for the Atlanta blaze and we did it two times. Um, mostly in the big invert, big little invert scenario where it was Jordan Wolf in one case where they do a ton of big little with him behind the net and Rob Pennell in the other one. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what, w- why go behind the net with the shorty? You know, we're just going to have to send a third player. That's why I think it's a good strategy. It becomes a coma slide really off the pickers, man. Right. And it forces a Rob Pennell to throw it back to a midi. That's yeah. the open man. Everybody else is, is in front. And I, I, it was good. It was, it was, it was a good strategy. I mean, certainly you're going to have to rotate to that when they throw it back there, but middies usually aren't as dangerous of feeders from back there. And, and a lot of times a Rob Pennell and Jordan Wolf don't want to throw it back there anyway, because they're used to making their own plays. So from that perspective, I thought it was awesome. I haven't tried it in the way of just never going behind when the shorty gets it back there. Although the hangup can happen, but Denver just gets themselves hung up. Uh, Lance, you got any comments on this? Well, it, it's funny you say that. Um, my biggest rival down here in our league, Ravenscroft School, is coached by Sandy Capitos, the former Delphi head coach. Won 10 national titles. Is really a great lacrosse mind. And they play it exactly that way and have forever. You know, they just play with the short in front of the goal. And like you said, there's always the guy with the ball is the best guy, right? And there's just a double team on the ball, right? And they, you do have to throw it back. And then they just come adjacent off the wing and just wheel into the ball. And it just takes the ball out of the best player's hands and puts it two passes away in somebody else. So um, it, it is effective. It is because it gets your best guy a little bit frustrated because there's really, it's like playing zone. It's like they're double teaming the ball at all times. So, and you typically don't get hung up because they're, they're wheeling into the ball, that backside guy. So they typically don't hang up unless you've got a really savvy backside guy that just pushes. And what we started doing is, pushing everybody the same side, Jamie, like the follow. And that's how you got the hang up, right? You pushed way up to try to push as far as you could pass goal line extended, follow them with the picker, and then just keep going that side and overload the side the ball went to, which was a little more effective. Cause then that guy could throw the through ball back to the back side, but you're right. If you throw it back to the weak side of the field, you don't get home that often. It, it's crazy. And it's really effective. And it just, Madden's your best player because literally just sitting back there with a double team on him the whole game. So we went away from picking when they do that. We just don't even go behind with the pick anymore. Just isolate space. But I see that twice a year in our biggest game of the year and have for 15 years. So, yeah. Nothing new for you then. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'd rather not go behind and pl- have to play Mikey Sowers back there. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but if he's going to break your ankles, you might as well just like meet him at the goal line. And now, granted, he, they, they scored a few goals on, like Hill, you were saying, uh, you got to be able to play some decent hang up defense. But I personally have just never felt like hang ups are that big of a deal. Sure, you'll give up a few goals here or there, but for, I see a lot more goals given up when people are trying to like, press out with the goalie on one side and the, and all of a sudden, you know, somebody just scores a, a an empty netter on you or, or what the goalie is supposed to come out and he doesn't. And the guy comes around that side and dunks it. I mean, so, you know, interesting stuff, certainly in the shot clock area, you go ahead and kill some time back there, you know? Yeah. So, um, okay. I want to turn the topic a little bit to uh, King of spring 
King of Spring is a uh, spring break um, program that Coach Lancey has been running for 15 years, 14 years. How many years, Coach? Uh, I think this, this would have been the 14th season. In the 14th season. Uh, tell us a little bit about how, how it started and, and obviously uh, how uh, the hiatus due to the pandemic has affected you and what you guys are trying to do now with it. Well, King of Spring initially, when I got to Durham Academy and I, I transitioned from Duke over there, um, you know, I, you know, to be honest, I, I really did not want to get in a hotel, uh, in a bus, in a hotel and travel with my guys for an extended period of time. But I really wanted my guys to have great lacrosse experiences. And I knew a lot of guys traveled our area um, in my time in North Carolina, just reached out to a few guys that normally did do something on spring break. Um, you know, Andy and I were college teammates. <clears throat> reached out to him and said, hey, man, what are you doing for spring break? And uh, asked him if he wanted to come to Durham. You know, Norfolk Academy had always come to this area and played like Charlotte Country Day and Providence Day. Coach Tuma and I down at Charlotte Country Day and I were good friends. And they've hosted a lot of those spring break out-of-town games over the years as well. So we just said, all right, let's just meet in Durham, just a few teams. And we just played a couple of games and we played at Duke. And I, I don't know, it really came down to like guys like Andy, some of these guys from Texas that were, it was easy and I think it was relatively inexpensive and kept coming back. Teams wanted to play them. They'd say, hey, we're going to Durham. Why don't you call John? See, maybe we can meet there. And that's really how it happened. I'm not great at saying no. And I think teams had really good experiences. And we went from a small little like six team thing, just trying to throw a few games together to full blown event in like three years. So I think at its biggest, and, and I'll say this, I mean, it, it quietly and anonymously became and is, and Andy will tell you this, the biggest intersectional regular season high school lacrosse event in the country annually. There is nothing like it. Um, there's tons of teams from all over ranging from, you know, we've had Malvern Prep over the years, Calvert Hall comes every year, Andy comes every other year. Uh, via strip from Florida, all those teams from Texas, Florida, Georgia, the Tennessee teams, um, the Hill Academy comes every year. So there's some really unique, awesome matchups. And the thing I love about it, and I think I appreciate, especially for the teams like the McDonough's and the Calvert Halls, is they come down on like a week and a half, two weeks of practice, and they'll go tangle with like Lambert from Atlanta or like Highland Park out of Texas, whoever the best team is in, in those regions who've been playing for like a month, a month and a half, got 10 games in and they're really roll the dice in day one to, to possibly lose and not worried about their brand per se, right? They just want to play some really competitive lacrosse early in the year and challenge their guys with, with the thought you could be losing your season opener, some team from Georgia. And um, I mean, Andy, early on that happened. Like you guys lost the Macaulay school down there at Duke in a great overtime game. And, you know, um, kind of was national news for the Macaulay guys, right? But, you know, you appreciate guys like Andy giving those kids a chance and putting those guys in competitive situations. So, you know, we don't do it with a lot of fanfare. There's never been a lot of press for the King of Spring, but there's been some unbelievable high school lacrosse games down there over the years. And it really is the unofficial kickoff of the national high school season annually. So so cool. cool. And, and to be able to, Hilgi, bring your team, get them out of town, get on a bus, spend – that quality time, you know, even the off the field time, um, how huge has that been for the building of your culture? Uh, massive. I mean, it's been, uh, it's been a highlight every single year. Um, you know, and again, we don't do the Durham trip every year. We, we get down to Florida. We try now to go every other year. Um, but the Durham trip, I, I love, 
the bus ride, the um, the opportunity to practice and play either at Duke or Chapel Hill at UNC, um, to be able to kind of be on those college campuses. Typically, um, there's either a great game at Duke while we're there or there's a great game at Carolina. Uh, over the years, we've seen some incredible games. And um, and so it's just it's it's fun. It's just great to be away with limited distractions. And all you're thinking about and all you're doing is lacrosse. And um, and so it, it has been a lot of fun and, and it's been cool to play teams from a lot of different areas and play on different campuses, as I mentioned. And, um, you know, even that Macaulay game in 2010, you know, where we lost that and everyone was in sort of a, a state of shock. That really was a, you know, it, it helped us sort of galvanized us into having a great regular season. We made it to the semifinals of the MIA that year. We had a phenomenal year. And, um, and without that loss, maybe, you know, maybe we saw the same year, but it, that was a growth uh, point for our program and for our team. And uh, that was just my, my second year as the head coach. And I look back on that as a great memory because of where it pushed us as a program. And, uh, and so it's been, it's been a tremendous and John's done a great job of organizing, helping teams to get competitive matchups and uh, so, you know, we'll continue to go back. And, and I know John's going to talk about how now we've gotten involved with the Verse Cancer Foundation and, and what that, that's meant to us. And, and um, it really kind of uh, gives a little extra special meaning to the, to the event. Yeah, that's great. Uh, perfect segue. John, can you go into some detail about what you guys are doing now um, with this uh, new initiative? Yeah, well, I mean, it's... It's, it's not new. I mean, I think we're just without being able to have the physical event this year, obviously COVID's put a pause with the amount of advanced planning that has to go into that event. We had to make the decision pretty, pretty early on in the summer to either try and make a go of it or not. And it was just prudent not to. So we, we forego the physical event this year. But um, I don't know, some time ago, I just thought we started bringing all these teams together. We could do more um, with our teams and our communities. And I, I wanted to put a philanthropic component to the to the event and we tried a few different things that brought awareness to different topics i mean the one year it was a boy at da that died of a rare form of cancer and andy we had these special jerseys made and he'll these guys warm never forget he they won a big mia game and he sent me a picture he goes hey lance we broke the jerseys out and told the story before the game and it was pretty cool but we i got connected with first cancer through joe brushy in carolina uh, chase jones is a former carolina baseball player who was diagnosed with brain cancer as a freshman freshman year at Carolina. Um, fortunately, with great resources, was able to, to win his battle um, against cancer. And he, super passionate guy who loves team sports and his fight against cancer started the Verse Cancer Foundation, which basically gives a really easy platform for teams and coaches to work with their guys to make a meaningful difference in their communities, raising funds for um, the hospital setting and research, like 50% of the money we raise goes to research, 50% goes to a designated cancer or pediatric cancer center in your community. Um, and it goes wherever the team that raises the most money takes that money back to their community. So the fundraising component is a competition and it's great. Like the, you'd have to be on the email chains. Andy's been on a bunch of these and I'm, I've gotten pretty good at this over the years because we're all really competitive guys. And I start kind of prodding everybody about the competition part on the fundraising side and to watch the steam go right as we head into the event. It was a great year. And these guys and our guys were battling to win it the one year. I had a kid on my team that had some little side business. We we're playing at NC Central down their hills and we we're walking. 
they had a really good team. We had a young team. We were probably going to lose the game. I remember Nathan Grosshandler, we pulled in the parking lot. You guys warmed because they coach, how far are we down to McDonough and fundraising? I go, uh, $400. He goes, 405. He hit send like right when we got off the bus. He goes, all right, we won that one coach. We might lose the game. We just won the fundraising battle uh, before <laughs> the game started. And you know, there's moments like that. And it just gives us all an opportunity. If it not, you know, this battle, the opportunity just to talk to kids about making a difference in their communities that, um, there, there's great lessons to be had all the time about giving your time to somebody you don't know. We're in a narcissistic kind of cynical world these days. And the kids need those messages from the adults that it's not always about them. It's not always about the result. It's about bigger things, your team and your community. And I think all the teams that come back really embrace that part of the event. We've never charged a, a fee to participate. So nobody's ever had to pay to be in the King of Spring. Um, we've had great in-kind sponsors over the years. So Hilgi's never had to pay a registration fee to be in King of Spring. Guys just pay the referee costs. And um, we come down and play great lacrosse and, and make a difference in somebody's community. And it's it's pretty cool, man. Nobody's looking for a pat on the back. We just come down and, you know, send the right message. Great sportsmanship all the way around by tons of coaches and programs. There's lopsided games. There's tight games. I've never, ever in the 14 years we've done it, ever had a coach say, I can't believe that coach did that to me, you know? So there's great examples of what high school sports should be, Jamie, every year over those four days. And in the end, we're, I've been in, in the Czech presentation part at Duke when we've taken the tour and understanding the difference that that money makes. And, you know, as you know, we've talked that my wife's going through uh, cancer reoccurrence for breast cancer and is in the middle of treatments right now. And since the six years of her original diagnosis to now, the difference in the quality of treatment, how they treat things, the research, you know, and she has a great positive outcome because of that. And we're fortunate to be uh, in a great community with a great um, cancer center at Duke and having great doctors and supporting those people who do great work um, day in, day out to try and help people like my wife and many others that are in those struggles. So just imagine it being your kid, Jamie, right? I always say about, okay, it's bad enough to your cancer. Just think it was your child, right? We're all parents on this call. That'd be the worst, it'd be the worst call you get, right? So um, we're really proud of what we've done, what we've done over the years with reverse cancer. And this year we're trying to, we're not bound by the physical event. We can have any team participate, right? So we're gonna keep it open till June 15th. Hopefully I have a ton of teams be willing to kind of do what we do annually and be part of what that feels like to help really make a difference. And maybe, Hey, they win. And it goes to Syracuse, New York, or Boston, Massachusetts, or Canada again, or, or Baltimore, Maryland, and helps a community there. So, um, so yeah. to, to be clear, you guys are not running King of spring because you couldn't plan it in time with COVID and all that, but you are still running the competition. How can people get involved? How about just having them email you? Correct. They can at uh, john.lancy at da.org. I'll forward you the information for the link to get your team organized. And it's John, J-O-N dot L-A-N-T-Z-Y at da.org. I'll forward you off to the folks at Verse Cancer to get your team registered. And, um, you know, Inside the Cross just did an article on it today in the high school section. So it's also there if you wanted to reference that. Um, it's on the DA site as well. So yeah, I would love a ton of teams to be involved. We're trying to raise $150,000. That would put the six-year total of our relationship with them over half a million dollars, which is it's a lot of money. So we're, we're hoping that we can do that. And I think the lacrosse community is a great community that way. And if some teams jump on board, I think we can do a lot more than that. So 
see how it goes. Awesome. Uh, Hilgi, any follow-ups on that? Yeah, I just, I, I credit John and uh, the people that he works with down at DA and in, in the triangle area down there for, for their perseverance in year in and year out, putting this together um, and, and making, about, making it about more than just a cross uh, adds extra meaning for me to bring our team down there um, and to be part of that, you know, and if we can have our kids take their focus off lacrosse and themselves and put it elsewhere and put it on someone else, uh, that, as John said, that's an incredible life lesson. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your thoughts on coaching high school lacrosse, two of the, two of the best coaches I know in the high school game, um, with incredible experience, incredible abilities uh, from everything from culture to player development to X's and O's and, and, and honestly making it more, more uh, than just about lacrosse. Um, one more time, uh, Coach Lancey, uh, if people want to get involved with the competition at King of Spring, one more time. Um, my email guys, John, J O N dot Lancey, L A N T S and Tom Z Y at D A dot org. Great guys. Good luck this spring. And, uh, everyone who's listening, uh, let's get involved. Let's see if we can help, uh, coach Lancey eclipse the $150,000 mark and, uh, and really crush it, um, in 2021. All right. I got to give Hilgi a go green, a couple of Spartans. It's uh, March madness time. Go green hoes. <laughs> Go green, boys. Say go white when that happens. <laughs> All right, Hugs. We'll talk to you. Thanks, Jamie. Bye, guys. Yeah. Thanks.